And it's a time when the church uh, asks her pastors to speak about uh, the priesthood and vocations to religious life and the priesthood uh, more generally. And uh, so that's what I'm, I'm going to do. If we look at our, our readings, well, our gospel, if we just start there. We see Christ as the shepherd. Okay, He is the main leader and the guide of his flock. Uh, but we have St. Peter in the first reading of the book of Acts. And he's preaching, he's the voice of the apostles, and he's leading and instructing people uh, concerning their salvation and the sacrament of baptism. And then we have, again, the voice of Peter in our second reading in his first epistle. And he talks about Christ as the shepherd in, in that epistle. But we, again, see Peter, who's actually really extending Jesus's identity as shepherd. Peter being shepherd. Okay, shepherding us, guiding us. And uh, as it is for Peter, so, uh, so it is for all of the bishops of the church and for the priests of the church. And so uh, normally on, on Good Shepherd Sunday, one thing that I like to do is I talk about the priesthood. I try to, you know, basically inspire some young men to consider uh, entering the priesthood. And I usually have to address head-on the main issue why guys do not become priests, and that is celibacy. So I usually, that's kind of like my order for the day as I talk about that. I actually did that, though, this past Holy Thursday. I don't know if some of you probably were here for Holy Thursday. Some of you were not. I put all my homilies online. Uh, I would encourage you to go online and listen to that homily there that I gave for Holy Thursday. Uh, and I addressed the whole issue of celibacy and, the, and its rationale and its beauty, um, so forth and so on. So I'm not going to talk about that today. I think what I'm going to do is take a little bit of a different uh, approach to things and do something maybe a little unique and surprising, especially considering that most of us are older, we've already entered our states of life, we're kind of, you know, we're not here discerning our vocation in life, most of us, okay? But I think that it's important for all Catholics to understand vocations in general so that we can influence our children and our grandchildren and basically influence the culture and the language and the thought of the church as a whole so that there would be an environment conducive for vocations. So I'm going to do a little kind of teaching on vocations. What I'd like to do is talk about religious life, the religious life. Now, let's make a few distinctions here. First of all, you have the priesthood, but the priesthood is a sacrament. So it's a sacrament of holy orders. It's something very specific. It's uh, an office in the church, and the person, the guy who, who's in that office, is put in a position of leadership and, uh, and, and responsibility, and it's kind of a risky um, place to be in, okay? Because you can, you can screw up big time and mislead a lot of people, okay? So the priesthood is kind of dangerous. Like, you don't get into the priesthood for your own salvation's sake. You get into the priesthood because God's calling you there, and you do it for others, for the salvation of others. Religious life, on the other hand, though, you do it for your sake, okay? Becoming religious is in your own interest, totally. It's not risky at all. In fact, it's the safest path to heaven. Okay, and I think that's something I kind of want to talk about. So I'm going to kind of detour from the whole celibacy issue. If you become religious, obviously one of the vows that you take is a, a vow of perfect chastity. But uh, And people see that as a, as a hindrance or a stumbling block. But I want to kind of talk about why it's really smart to become uh, religious. Now, 
We can use the term religious in the broad sense. Religion is a virtue. It's basically the uh, disposition that we have to give God what we owe him in terms of worship and devotion and prayer, okay, and service, and the, and the devotion and the dedication of, the, of our heart as well. That's the virtue of religion. It's actually really close to love, all right? The, the virtue of religion the virtue of charity are really, really close, okay? Because God is the greatest good, we love him, and uh, we want to give ourselves to him when, in a perfect gift of self. And so religion is, has a, the virtue of religion has a lot to do with that. It's devoting oneself to God and being very uh, particular when it comes to religious ceremonies and rites and making sure that we're doing those things correctly for God's honor and glory. So that's the virtue of religion in general, and all Christians should have that virtue and should cultivate it and grow in it. But when we talk about becoming religious or becoming uh, joining religion or entering a religious order, what we're talking about is something more specific. It's a special way of practicing that virtue of religion. It's a special way of dedicating oneself to God because you take vows. So the essence of the religious life are vows that you make to God. Okay, And there's three vows. Um, a little, little background here. Uh, the religious life goes back to the time of the apostles. All right, so one of the earliest instances we see of religious life, here's a little history for you guys, uh, earliest instances we see of religious life in, uh, at the, in apostolic times, right in the New Testament, is we see an order of widows, okay? And these widows took a vow of chastity, and they dedicated their entire existence to prayer and to penance and, then, and to doing good works uh, for the poor, and what started happening is at first, some of these widows certainly were widows in the most plain sense of the word, meaning their husband had died, okay, and they took this vow and they entered this order, and they were supported financially by the church, okay? Uh, but also, sometimes, now this is funny, and it strikes people as strange, but this was actually a reality in the ancient church for hundreds and hundreds of years, is that the ancient priests sometimes were called to holy orders uh, as married men, and what they would do is both their wife and them would consent together and they would actually split up. And the, the husband would go into holy orders and the wife would go into religious life. Okay, that was something that was actually done quite frequently. So some scholars and historians believe that this order of widows, some of the members of this order were women whose husbands were still alive, but they had kind of gone separate ways. The husband had gone into holy orders and the wife had joined this order. Okay, so that's a possibility. Uh, but in any event, certainly what started happening very, very early on within the apostolic era is that women who had never married at all, who were total virgins, they would join this order and they were called widows by, like, you know, honorary widows, okay? And so that's really kind of the, the beginning of religious life. So these women would live in community and they dedicated their lives to prayer, to penance, and to taking care of the poor. And then the female orders would kind of grow from there. And eventually men would start to kind of do the same thing. Although the men at first started to live more as solitaries, as hermits. And then little by little they started to band together. And then the religious orders in the more traditional historical sense uh, that we know of uh, started to develop. But in any event, the essence of the religious life are is a vow. Is that you're, you're dedicating yourself to God under vow. And so the three traditional vows they take are uh, a vow of chastity, a vow of poverty, 
And a vow of obedience. Now, the vow of obedience is really the big deal. It's really the essence of the religious life. So, uh, when you enter into religious life, you uh, make a vow to God that you are going to obey the rule of the religious order that you're a part of. And that rule dictates to you what you're going to do, sometimes on a daily basis. Okay, It can be that specific. It depends on what order you're part of. Uh, but certainly if you are a part of a contemplative order, that is an order that's dedicated completely to prayer, and you don't actually do any apostolic works, all you do is pray, uh, your day is going to be highly, highly, highly regimented. Okay? And uh, you're going to have you're going to live in a religious house with a superior, and you have vowed to God that you're going to obey that superior in everything, unless obviously they ask you to do something that really directly contravenes your your conscience. Obviously, you can't obey him in that. But other than that, you obey the religious superior in everything. And so, what happens is something very very special: is that every almost everything you do in your day becomes an act of religious worship to God. So if you take a, a lay person who's not under religious vows and they want to be charitable and play, they don't like Monopoly, but they play Monopoly with their kids because their kids like Monopoly. That's an act of charity. It's very virtuous. It's meritorious before God. The, the, the man who does that with his kids, he's going to grow in charity. But when the religious, who doesn't like to play Monopoly, or maybe they do like to play Monopoly, when they play Monopoly, okay, and they do it, Because it's time for recreation under the religious rule of their order. It's an act of worship. And it's many, many, many more times virtuous and meritorious than if they were just to kind of choose that on their own. And do it out of charity or do it out of whatever. So almost every aspect of the religious's life is an act of worship and devotion to God. And it's an incredible tool of growth and holiness. Now, we're all called to become holy. And when we die, the state of our holiness at our death is going to be our state of holiness and the state of our glory and the state of our closeness to God for eternity. So the whole point of life is to become as holy as we possibly can before we die. And so, hey, it makes sense to become religious. It, it's not crazy. It makes a lot of sense. Hey, this is going to be an amazing tool that's going to help me become as holy as I possibly can. Because every act of my life is now an act of worship to God. Because it's under obedience, because it's according to the rule. Um, whenever, you know, mom sends me cookies, I can't have the cookies because I don't have personal property. I give them up to the order and maybe... The abbess or the abbot gives the cookies back to me, whatever. That's his or her prerogative. But in any event, uh, that's an act of worship. Okay? So it's an amazingly intelligent thing to do. It takes a lot of generosity. Okay? But it's a, it's a very, very smart thing to do. And uh, it's very relevant speaking about religion on Good Shepherd Sunday because... The religious are really the foundation of the church. And I think that the major problem in the church today, we have mass attendance has gone big down big time. You know, Catholic schools are shutting down left and right. All of this kind of stuff. There is a, it's because of the religious life is suffering. That's really the root of it all. Okay? Because we need all of these unseen graces that are being given to the church through the sacrificial lives 
of the religious that are dwindling massively at this, at this point. Of course, also, too, the apostolic labors of the religious are really, really healthy for the church. They drive the missions. And then, of course, what's the big one? Catholic education. Okay, especially in America, Catholic education was based totally upon the religious orders. All right, and because they went, because they're going down, religious education, uh, Catholic education becomes more and more difficult to do uh, financially. All right, so that's a kind of a practical aspect, but really more important than the apostolic labors of the religious, it's their lives of sacrificial devotion in the heart of the church that create a wellspring of spiritual uh, power and grace for everybody else, for the pastors of the church. And then, of course, many of the bishops, Pope Francis himself, his, he's religious, okay, he was a Jesuit, all right? So many of the, of the bishops uh, and even the popes are drawn from the religious orders, so they supply uh, many of the positions of shepherding within the church. But in any event, the female and the male religious, they're really the backbone spiritually, in an invisible sense, uh, to the church. So let's today just kind of reflect about that, reflect on that, think about that. Um, I am not religious technically, I'm a secular priest, okay, so I have not taken a vow of poverty, for example, all right, I'm kind of in a, I'm a tertia quid, I'm sort of in between uh, a lay person and a religious, I'm sort of like straddling the two sides here, okay, so uh, I can reflect and appreciate uh, the religious life just as much as a lay person, um, and so let's all together today think about this. Let's kind of encourage people. Let's look at look into this. Kind of like educate ourselves about it. Um, I would just say a few few uh, considerations here today. Um, the Dominicans are very healthy. So if anybody wants to re- enter religious life or encourage their child or grandchild to consider religious life, what I would say is go to the Dominicans, especially the Dominicans of the province of St. Joseph, which is uh, the eastern province in the United States. They are um, admitting into their order, and uh, these the Dominican uh, friars are usually ordained priests as well. So they're ordaining like 12 to 14 to 15 to 16 guys a year. All right, they're just they're they're exploding. They're exploding. The Dominicans are very very healthy, full of lots of young vocations. Very exciting. They're incredible, incredibly intellectual. Very very smart guys. That's their charism is a theology and teaching uh, and missions, preaching missions. Um, so the Dominican friars of the province of Saint Joseph, very good. Dominican sisters of Saint Cecilia. They're headquartered in Nashville. Uh, Tennessee, they're very healthy right now. Lots of vocations are doing very good, and they're teachers. Okay, so they're setting up Catholic schools all over America, doing very good. If you wanted, if you got some young guy who's who's like totally, uh, really, really wants to be super generous, probably the most difficult religious order is called the Carthusians. The Carthusians are hermits. They live almost completely alone, dedicated 100% of their time to prayer and to penance. They live a very, very austere life. Um, they say about the Carthusians that uh, they've never been in need of reform, ever. They've existed for about a thousand years. They've never needed to be reformed, unlike all other religious orders. So it's probably the most difficult religious order, but they're also in, in healthy conditions. We have here in our own diocese, we've got the Abbey of the Genesee, the Trappist monks, very good abbey. We've got Mount Savior Monastery, they're Benedictines. And we've got the Discalis Carmelites of Rochester, the uh, female uh, monastery. Awesome ladies, and uh, they are fully contemplative. 
We don't even know who they are because you never see them. But their prayers are keeping us afloat and we owe them a lot. There's, there are things that we won't understand until we get to heaven as to how important their prayers and their sacrifices are for all of us. Uh, and then, of course, we've got the really active apostolic female religious orders, the, the Sisters of Mercy and the Sisters of St. Joseph. And in fact, does anybody recall it's uh, Sister Catherine Gibbons? Does anybody recall Sister Catherine Gibbons? She is celebrating pretty soon her Jubilee anniversary, and she asked me to put in the bulletin an invitation for all of us to celebrate that with her. So you'll see that in the upcoming bulletin. That will be a great way of honoring uh, our religious um, by uh, attending that uh, for her. You'll see that in, in next Sunday's bulletin. So let's pray for vocations to the religious life. And let's uh, talk about it, learn about it, and, and spread the good news about it.